Nothing a couple nukes won't fix. <laughs> it's too soon, Barry. Welcome. This is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I am Barry Liga, and with me, across from me, with a laptop actually on her lap, <laughs> atop her lap, as, as it were, intended. is my wife and my co-host, Morgan Baden. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. We, good. We're a little late. We're a little late. That's okay. You know... It, this doesn't cost anything. People can't complain. <laughs> Seriously, people cannot complain. We're at that, uh, We uh, our baby just turned six months. Yeah. And I feel like this is about the mark where you stop being excused for everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, kind of true. you should be getting your life back together by now. So ha. like... <laughs> I say to the ha. So I feel a little guilty that we're a yeah. little late. The only people who can complain are the kind souls who have given us five-star ratings yes. on iTunes. They are allowed to complain. Everybody else, <laughs> cram it. So we're going to talk tonight about something that we probably really don't want to talk about. <laughs> but it's something that I feel would be irresponsible not to talk about. We are going to talk about some controversy and some outrage. Um, I'm going to give people some background here. There's a book called The Black Witch. Uh, I heard about this first couple of months ago. Some people were very unhappy with it. Uh, Apparently, it is a fantasy novel. Mm -hmm. Young adult. Young adult fantasy novel. And apparently the premise of this novel, I have not read it. It's a very long novel. It's like 600 pages. I think so. And when you have a baby... How dare you call a book long? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) When when you have a baby, like I was thinking about it the other day. If I were to try to read a 600-page novel at the current rate at which I'm reading... Oh, my gosh. I would not be done until the kid was like in preschool. Yeah. So, yeah, that that ain't happening. But no, I I haven't read this. Um, It's a YA fantasy novel, and the premise is that it's a world where there are are various races or species or what have you, as there are in many fantasy novels. And uh, the, the main character, the protagonist, comes from this sort of elitist snobby, racist, speciesist, what what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, looks down on all the Looks other down species. on all the other ones. Yeah. Um, and sort of, uh, by the end of the novel, has sort of, I guess, changed her tune. Come, Suppo- supposedly. supposedly. Again, yeah. we, we haven't read it. But my understanding um, is that by the end of the book, this person has come to at least begin to understand that there is value in these other, uh, mm-hmm. these other what she once would have thought of as lesser races. Yeah. Um, so a couple months ago, I guess when the book was out in galley form, uh, there was a, 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 some outrage on Twitter about the fact that this is a book basically where the main character, the quote-unquote good guy, the person you're supposed to be rooting for and interested in, is basically a racist and is, is saying racist things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I should say, we should say that, um, again, we weren't following along in real time because right. newborn, yeah. but uh, the backlash a lot of it was spurred by a particular blog post yes that was meant review. to be a review of this book and was a an epic takedown of it, was it basically this book should not exist yes this book is offensive this book should not exist um and recently there was an article in vulture called the toxic drama of ya twitter thank you mm-hmm. uh which is about not the book itself, but rather about the controversy and the outrage stirred up by the book. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to talk about. Because, again, we haven't read this book. So, yeah. you know, there, there's nothing for us to discuss. 
I should say from the outset, just in the interest of full disclosure so that nobody gets upset, uh, the woman who wrote this article, Kat Rosenfeld, uh, used to work, or maybe still does, I have no idea, at MTV News and wrote a couple of articles about the I Hunt Killers books and, oh, the, I, and the I Hunt Killers TV series oh. when that was going to be a thing. Uh, and I did meet her in person one time at a writer's conference. We exchanged pleasantries. That was it. So I, I didn't know that. Just, you know, if somebody goes Googling and says, oh, well, Barry <laughs> thinks this because she wrote an article about I Hunt Killers. You know, I do need to point out that when I saw the name, it was vaguely familiar and I had to Google to find out why yeah. I knew that name. This is not somebody who comes over for dinner. Right. Um, again, she wrote a couple of very nice articles and, and I shook her hand once. Um, so, so this was a very interesting article. Um, basically almost an autopsy on, on how a, a Twitter controversy or how Twitter outrage yeah. happens. And uh, it is. It, I, I like that word. It, it was yeah. a very behind the scenes look at, um, because listen, Twitter can be crazy. It can actually be really hard to like find the thread that explains it all. And not only that, but a lot of times I feel like people so quickly become calcified in their positions that the language that they use, strangely enough, almost becomes opaque. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've seen a few comments, not just on this issue, but at any time there's a controversial or outrageous issue that people are discussing, where I read it and I can't tell which side this person yeah. is on. Yeah. Because clearly they think it is so obvious what side everybody should right. be on. Yeah. that they And because of the nature of Twitter, they don't explain yeah. <laughs> where they're coming from. Yeah. And as a result, I, you know... I'll look at it and I'll go, wait, is this good or bad? Uh -huh. I yeah. don't know. I can't figure this out. And usually life is too short for me to go spelunking. Right. And, you know, put on my Indiana Jones hat and be an archaeologist and figure it out. The other thing we should uh, acknowledge and actually discuss for a second before we actually talk about this article is the diversity problem in publishing. Sure. Well documented. I think. <laughs> I mean, yeah, certainly. Sure. Um, and it's mentioned in the article. Yes. The yeah. diversity problem. And I think, um, and and we'll get to this as we discuss this article and this sort of general idea of call-out culture and on Twitter and whether or not it's productive at all. Um, there is clearly a diversity problem in publishing. Yes. Including in YA publishing. Yes. People are actively working on this, but it's uh, that's a change that's going to take a while. Well, and, and that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, of I think, not to go too blue sky here, but people always want revolutionary change. And the fact of the matter is most change is usually evolutionary. Of course, yeah. Uh, you know, we're actually in the midst of revolutionary change in this country right now. And how does everybody like that? Right. Um, <laughs> Feels good, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Feels nice and safe. You know, uh, we, we say this from the house that we bought and paid for in the suburbs where we are safe as two white people. Yep. Um, and I realized that, you know, if, if you are not us, the, the question is, why should I wait one minute longer of than course. I've already waited? And the only answer that I have is you shouldn't have to, mm -hmm. but that's how it is. Like yeah. I, nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that is an extremely unsatisfying answer, uh, and an extraordinarily unfair answer, but I, I, I don't know how to hasten the progress right, yeah. in any way that would be helpful. And uh, if I did, I'd do it. And that applies to every change we want to make, not just to that of diversity in publishing. Sure, like, exactly. You know, we're in a bit of a world crisis right now. Right. And um, nothing a couple nukes won't fix. <laughs> it's too soon, Barry. <laughs> Literally too soon. Um, no, but, you know, changes are often incremental. 
And when you're talking about an industry-wide change like this, that takes a lot of time, especially when you think about the fact that publishing itself is already incredibly slow moving. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, this we've talked about this before. This industry is, is an oil tanker. You yeah, know, this yeah. industry is not a speedboat. This industry moves very, very slowly. So uh, anyway, I just so wanted yeah. to level set there that like, yeah. I, I hope no one is arguing that there isn't a problem that needs to be addressed. I haven't seen that I mean, kind I'm, of argument. I think there's a guy who used to work at Google. <laughs> we'll put a link I in mean, the show notes. <laughs> I mean, specifically about YA. Yeah. Um, yeah. So truly, like, I haven't seen anyone being like, there's no problems. This is a bunch of drama queens, you know. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think I've seen anybody yeah. deny that there's a diversity Right, problem. right. Yeah. Um, if they do, just don't listen to them is, is what I'm advising all of you listeners. Or do, and then point and laugh. Well, I'll sit down. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so level setting there. Sure. So this article, again, is sort of an autopsy of the phenomenon of Twitter outrage, which I think is actually enormously valuable. And I think the way I am choosing to look at this article is less about do I agree with its sort of central premise or not? What do I think of this book? Um, I'm sort of, I'm more interested in it as, oh, this is a really interesting, and I, I personally think well-written, excavation of how Twitter outrage happens. Yes. Because Twitter outrage happens all the time, multiple times a day. And, and as we said before, sometimes you just have no idea where it came from. And this was like, okay, let's go back and find out and let's trace it through and see what happened. Yeah. And so that to me was enormously interesting. Again, I agree. whether you agree with it or not, it was very valuable yeah. for that reason. And I will say, adding on to that too, watching some of the reaction on Twitter to this piece, which we'll get to that as well, because as... Everyone can imagine uh, there has been very varied reactions. But um, hearing some other people in the industry react to this article with new information, um, it really reminds me that there are that most readers of any genre don't realize the amount of people who read a book before it gets published, right um, before it is released to the world. And I'm not talking about before it's sold. I mean before it like actually hits your bookstore. Um, I mean, th sometimes thousands of galleys go out. Right. Uh, influencers get them. Reviewers get them. Librarians, you know. So there's many audiences getting them, and it's so interesting watching. So reading about the the sort of autopsy and the excavation in this article from Vulture, um, and then seeing some of the tweets from other people who were also involved before the book was released. Um, there's so many. Again, just different threads that go into ha the reaction that a book gets. Right. So um, uh, anyway, so yeah. So uh, I guess my point is I read this article, I think like you, and took away from it like, wow, yeah, that's how this happens. Yep. So person X says this, person Y reacts with this, 10 other people over here as a result do this, and then it leads to this, which reacted. You know what I mean? Like it's this constant um, fascinating pie chart i don't even know like really weird things going on so anyway yeah it, it snowballs it, it starts you know and that's what's most amazing is you know th this is a pretty big uproar on ya twitter and it started with one person yeah and that's f fascinating and obviously we all know we're all living in the internet age we know things go viral mm -hmm. um but it's still amazing to me that one person can say something about a book that has not come out yet that no, almost nobody has seen yet, mm -hmm. 
And it can spiral into something like this. Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing to me. And part of that is, um, this person wanted this to spiral. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't she, uh-huh. take the position that she took and with the, um, the, 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 the strong language that she used <laughs> without hoping that other people are going right, to say, oh, right. yeah, you're yeah. right. Um, but she also made specific asks of people to elevate, right. to, you know, amplify her mm-hmm. tweets and her posts and whatnot. Um, and was actively keeping a log of how many people were doing so and right. how many views she was getting and whatnot. And Which in and of itself is fascinating. It is. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's almost like um, Twitter itself has become gamified. So, like, people are trying to score up the points right. of how, you know, how many retweets are they getting and how yeah. many page views and everything. And um, it becomes this contest. And you have to ask yourself, at, at, at what point does this become unproductive right. versus a, product, a productive conversation? So, You know, in terms of, of whether or not this is productive, I think one of the most interesting things about the article was that pretty much, like, agents and authors were pretty much in agreement that they hate when something like this happens to them. Uh-huh. It feels it feels terrible, obviously. Um, I can say as a writer that, you know, I've never been, uh, you need a term for this, like Twitter rolled. Like, you know, <laughs> like I, I've never had, I've never sort of been piled on. Uh, I, I like to think because I've never really <laughs> done anything horribly offensive. Um, but although I'm sure I have. But, you know, I have had individuals here and there sure. say pretty hurtful things about me as a person mm-hmm. um, based on things I've written and it never feels good um, but I think what was really interesting was that publishers really don't care I mean it, it's that more is. it's more of an inconvenience and an annoyance to them but they say that they have never really seen any actual impact from it right which sort of you know dovetails into the old you know there's the only bad press is no press and but what all, but what they also said was that they could see a day where it does begin to impact sales and things mm. like that. So I think that's very interesting. That right now, sort of their attitude is just, it'll blow over. Don't worry about it. It's not going to hurt things. Um, but that they we've, but that they are wary that there could be a time where the Twitter outrage actually does sink a book. Well, here's the thing, um, if I may conjecture here. Twitter is a dying platform, so let's be honest about that. <laughs> wow. You heard I that from the social media butterfly, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I, I love Twitter. It's actually my favorite platform, although Instagram is possibly t- overtaking that. But there are only 310 million active Twitter users. Most of those are not in the U.S. And how many of them are bots? Right, exactly. Well, monthly active. So, oh, got you it. Know. Okay. But um, so to a publisher... I would assume, I obviously can't speak on behalf of any or all publishers because that's right. not what I do on this podcast. But um, the fact that a few thousand people on a small platform that no one else pays attention to, unless you're an active Twitter user, are ranting about a book, yeah, a publisher is not worried about that. Right. Because in a way, like, I, I almost feel like Twitter itself is not a part of real life anymore. Like, what happens on Twitter. Stays on Twitter. Yeah, like it doesn't. Bleed it's like over the Las Vegas of life. the internet. Yeah, yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like it, it, in a in a lot of ways, it doesn't bleed over into real life. I was just reading an article about um, the the three kinds of social media users, and there is a, I think it's about a third of users are probably people who don't consider the way they act on social media to be part of their actual day to day life. Right. And it's a game. Like it's you a said game. Before. And also like they quit, you know, everyone knows a crazy person who goes on Facebook and says crazy, 
grammatically incorrect things and then leaves and then you like run into them in a restaurant and they're perfectly normal and like don't seem to acknowledge that they ranted at you on Facebook. You know what I mean? Like it, because for a lot of people, they just exist separately. Internet derangement syndrome. I diagnosed. Yes. So anyway, uh, that's why I think like Twitter in particular is so weird because so many people, especially in YA Twitter, uh, think that it's so important, but like, why a Twitter is not, it's not that big of a deal in real life. Is that terrible to say? Wow. You just crushed the hopes and dreams of so many people. But when you think about, like, first of all, Twitter isn't even a platform for teens. Yeah. You know, so, um, it's not like all the teen readers are anxious or refreshing their tweet deck all day, looking for information about books. Like as much as I, who runs social media for a book brand would like to believe that's the case. (laughs) It's not. It is not. Something that really interested me um, was that she went ahead and looked at the ratings of the the Black Witch, Mm. both on Goodreads and on Amazon. Yeah. And on Goodreads, where people sort of, there was a sort of an activist culture deliberately trying to sink the book. You know, the rating was something like 1.3 stars or Uh, something like that. But Um, most of the ratings said, I haven't read this book. Right. But on Amazon... On Amazon, uh-huh. it had like 4.2, yeah, um, which sort of indicates sort of what you're talking about here, where there's this sense of this, you know, this this online outrage that is very contained. Yes, and it's not actually, as publishers are saying right now, it's not actually breaking out into the broader yeah. mass commercial culture. Yeah. Because Amazon represents actual sales, right, yeah. and there the re- the reviews are are fine. Yeah. And on Goodreads, where people are going there out of a sense of activism, um, the the reviews are very bad. Yeah, and and that's that that's interesting. It's funny because when I think about so the average teen reader, again, not a book blogger, not a reviewer, anything like that, just someone who occasionally goes into a bookstore and sees a book and decides to purchase it, um, they just don't know anything about that title, you know? So they're counting on the booksellers' recommendations and the displays and things like that. Right. But even if they were someone who dabbled in Twitter and maybe sees occasional book content there, the fact is this sort of call-out culture of of books right now is so active and happens so often that I think we all forget the t- Not we all, because certainly not, but I, like, forget the titles that people were angry about uh, two months ago. Well, Remember last year there was that um, that book that, oh, gosh, I can't even remember the story now, but it was written up everywhere. It it's immediately had a movie deal, but it was, like, a total, oh, God, it was, like, a white guy wrote it. Um, you, it you just listed, like, every book in no, publishing. I know, I know. There's a diversity problem. I They're all written by a, white guys. I think it was a dystopian. I don't know. But everyone made fun of it, basically, because... Okay. Oh, I know what it was. It was a guy who totally denigrated the entire YA oh, genre. Oh, the cruelty. Scott Bergstrom. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Literally, I could... for the If you held a gun up to my head, I would not know his name or the book's name. Yep. But I, at the time, I was like, this is fascinating, and read that, and I was like, that's a terrible interview, and he should have said those things, and I'll never read that book. Right. And now here we are. I... Have no idea what well, that you, book was. Well, you don't called. even know when the book came out. No, I don't. When did it come out? <laughs> you know, don't. sometime last year. So I guess. I guess I guess my point with this telling little anecdote about my terrible memory is that you know these things happen so often too that in a way it's hard to. It's literally just hard to remember. So when the average teen is walking into a bookstore, like I said, right. even if they are part of Twitter culture, 
they might just not remember that there's so many books and so many options. I don't know. It's just, it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about the reaction to the article, which now we're getting really deep because it's, now we're talking about the reaction to a reaction to the reaction to the original book, (laughs) Um, you know, which is getting very deep. This is really inside baseball too. It really is. I apologize to our listeners who are not interested in this. Um, but we'll, uh, like you said, we'll leave a link to, in the show notes. I and I just, think it is an interesting article to read. It, it, it's just interesting that, you know, some people are saying that, that even to discuss the origins of the outrage is, is sort of denigrating the outrage. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, t- and siding with the book. Um, right, right. And, and I didn't get an impression from the article that, that the writer of the article had an opinion one way or the other about the yeah. book. Yeah. Um, this really did feel like, like let's explore where this comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find out later that a lot of people seem to think that the author of this article has an axe to grind. Um, I, I mean, because apparently she was, which is so ironic because she's writing about people grinding. Right, axes. Right, yeah. Yeah. But I want to, I, I want to, I don't know, disclose that. Um, We're aware that, that that's out there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, I, I can't judge that. No, I can't either. Yeah. No. Again, we have two kids. We just don't have time to do this. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of legwork here. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, you know, Roxanne Gay said something very interesting about this on Twitter. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. And what she said was, this was a really good article on online discourse in the YA community. Mm-hmm. And honest to God, I think that's what you and I have spent 20 minutes saying. Like, I, yeah, I really yeah. think that that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And interestingly enough, people took took umbrage at that. Yeah. They, they really felt that she was, that she was wrong and that she was missing something here and mm-hmm. that, and that there was a, a horrible injustice being perpetrated again, not by the original book, but by this article about the reaction to the book. Yeah. And that's just really, really weird yeah. to me. Well, I think the more I've read about this, you know, seeing the different tweets and all the different reactions, the more I think that I think what's happening is, um, people are reading the article in two very separate ways. Some people are reading it as this woman wrote an article basically um, yelling at or, or threatening or harassing people who have legitimate problems with the lack of diversity in publishing. Right. My takeaway was not that at all. And my takeaway was, yeah, gosh, call out culture is really shitty. <laughs> and I have noticed an uptick of it in yeah. YA Twitter. And how does that happen? Let me let me dissect that and see. So that's where I think um, some of this, some of these mixed reactions are coming from. And again, I, I want to acknowledge too, like maybe my takeaway, which I just explained, is a takeaway of privilege because I I, I don't need to be worried about representation in books that I read. You know, so. Um, it's easy for me to overlook or to gloss over those subtexts in in things that I read. So, you know, I read this article and my first thought isn't, yeah, like it still really sucks out there for young readers of color. You know, instead, my takeaway was or my lens is, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I work in social media. And so I see all these different angles of it. And it's exhausting on social media seeing this stuff happen. Is it possible that both can be true? Of course it is, 100%. Yeah. And, and I think that's what bothers me, yeah. is that there's this this weirdly, uh, you know, dialectical notion that there can only be one. Right, yeah. And, you know, and that, and that if, you do, if, if you cling to the wrong one, 
you're not just wrong, you're bad. Yeah, yeah. You're evil. Yeah. And that is what's really, really weird to me. Yeah. Because in a lot of cases, these are all people who would probably identify as pretty progressive Mm -hmm. if you sat them down and asked them. And they're calling each other pretty non non progressive things. Well, it's the you know, it's the purity test that we have on the liberal left now. Sure. That happens in politics and now it's happening in, in culture as well. Yeah. Um uh, and it's really funny because for for me personally, and maybe this is what happened to you too, but I tweeted the article and I said this was really said I said something like this was a really good article on um, on YA Twitter culture. And then I started seeing other people's tweets, people who I follow and people I know in real life and people I like and respect and yada yada. And I was like, did we read different articles? Yeah. Like, are there two versions of one article and I got a different one? Like, <laughs> right. I was literally... Were they A-B testing right? the article? Like, what's the disconnect here? Because these people are raging about it. And I'm over here thinking this was a productive article. Right. So... Well, you're, you agree with Roxanne Gay, I do, so you've got to feel good about I'm that. I'm not kidding. Like, when I saw Roxanne say that, I was like, oh, good. I'm not alone here. Right. And then I saw some other people that I really admire, um, Linda Holmes from NPR and the, lots of other people... Uh, saying similar things and I was like oh good like uh, again I'm not alone which that in itself is fascinating um to step away from and examine that like my first instinct was who else am I agreeing with on Twitter so right. that I'm not about to get attacked right because you're like oh my god did Donald Trump like this article right right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah all right we could I mean we could talk about this forever yeah. there's so much to talk about but I feel I, I feel like our job on this show is to sort of express our opinions and, and throw some ideas out there and then point people to the show notes and and they can look and, and decide for themselves um, and obviously we'd love to hear what you think of it um, yeah you know get in touch with us let us know uh, tell us if we're crazy or, or if we're not crazy or if we're missing something we'd love to hear from you um, I, I want to move on I want to talk very quickly because I know we're okay. running long tonight but I want to talk very quickly about parenting God, do we have to? And then I just want to talk about what we're reading. Okay. Um, so parenting, I, I, there's something that I've I've had on my uh, in in my list of of show topics for a while to talk about. Uh, it is an article that I read um, a little while back called "I Didn't Love My Daughter for the First Year of Her Life." Whew. And I'm gonna I'll put a link to it in the show notes, obviously. Mm-hmm. And when I read it, I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, there is a a, a phenomenon where it takes people a of while course. to actually love their children. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that's what it was going to be about. You know, this, this guy's struggle. It's, yeah. written, it's written by a man. It's written by a father. Uh, this guy's struggle with, with learning to love his daughter. Okay. And I thought, that, that sounds really interesting. And it wasn't really about that. It was, that was sort of about that obliquely. It was more about the difficulty of being an, a, a new parent, which is less interesting to me. Like, <laughs> once you've gone through it, like, it, it's less interesting to read about. Um, but there was a paragraph in particular that I want to read. That really jumped out at me. Okay. You don't sleep and barely eat for weeks, sometimes a whole year, so this tiny meat sack can eat and sleep, all while you're working a full-time job and dealing with the rest of your life. I was a wreck. My wife, who worked her old day job at home while taking care of our daughter, was worse. Our relationship turned into a single ceaseless argument, unbroken by sleep or sunset. When Izzy began to sleep through the night a year in, things got a little better. I read that and I think, wow, I'm the guy during Vietnam who got a high draft number. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. Man, did we dodge a bullet or what? Like, like it's, that sound. That sounds like war. That does sound like and, war. And you know, I mean, we had some difficulties. Longtime listeners know we had some trouble with sleep training Leia yeah. in the beginning. It took a little longer than it was supposed to, and that was really frustrating. Mm-hmm. There were some problems there, and some some 
you know, she, she uh, regressed sometimes. But to think that it took a year That's awful. for their kid to be sleeping through the night. Well, I mean, I, I mean, first of all, that is the case for a lot of people. Uh, and that's a whole different That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, we dodged yeah. a bullet here. That's what I'm saying. Well, but we sleep train. Yeah. Yeah. There are some people who, who don't and, and won't, and their reasons are their own. Um, I just can't imagine our relationship turned into a single ceaseless argument. Yeah. That's, unbroken by yeah. sleep or sunset. Yeah. Which is a nice turn I was of say, phrase. It's a beautiful sentence. But, but it really dude, stopped me. How do, yeah. you, how do you survive a year like yeah. that? Mm-hmm. I, I, I just... You know, and that's why I, I, I'm sure you didn't mean for this to turn into a pronouncement of sleep training, but um, that's how I'm taking it. Yeah. But here's the thing, and I think what a lot of people, the, the part of the conversation that gets left out um, when people are arguing against sleep training is, well, the parents, like, they have to survive this as well. And, and that was one of the books that we read about sleep training, yeah. talked about the importance of parents need to sleep. Yeah. And to go an entire year of your life with that kind of stress and I can't even imagine that. Like that's uh, again, the first month of a baby's life is hell. That is war. Sure. Um, by six weeks, things get a lot better by 12 weeks. They get infinitely better. Um, because for us, 12 weeks is when we sleep train. (laughs) Right. Right. And, um, and we kept I, saying that to to each other. Yes. You know, during yeah. during the the rough nights with Luke, which were not as, as nearly as bad no, as with Leia. I no. mean, but you know, still, lack of sleep is lack of sleep. Yeah. There was there was a, a ten to fourteen day period um, right before twelve weeks. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Where he just did not. He sleep was up all. literally yeah. every hour. Yeah. And, yeah. But we kept saying x number of days until we can sleep uh-huh. x n- you know we didn't understand that with leia right like we understood it theoretically but we didn't understand what the mm-hmm. real benefits were going to be whereas with luke yeah we were like if we just have to hold on for three months yeah once we get to three months we're good and that's part of what i hate is this uh, and i feel sympathy for this guy i really do um but what i hate is this narrative that that having a baby means your life is horrible for the next 18 years or until they learn to put themselves to bed or whatever. Like it doesn't have to be this way. I guess is what I'm, I would like to tell new parents. Like you have options. There are ways there are no cry sleep solutions. If you're worried about crying, um, there's lots of things you can do to help set a schedule for your baby so that you're not waiting an entire year for them to learn how to sleep. And, and there is alcohol for parents <laughs> and maybe for the baby too. No, we're not, we're not endorsing giving your baby alcohol. No. And you know, we're not experts. We're only experts in the two children we have and every child. Even there, different. I don't feel like we're experts, <laughs> but um, it's funny. I thought you were going to talk about uh, like the, the falling in love moment. Well, that's what I thought it was going to yeah, be about, Yeah, but it was more about how there came a time where finally, you know, he slept and when he woke up, it's yeah. like, you know, once he got his sleep, he was like, Oh, I love my kid. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was very different yeah. than, than I was expecting it. The, the, the title was very arresting, but the article, you know, was sort of what you expected, but that, I just wanted to call out that paragraph because yeah. it really, That's tough. really did make me realize how incredibly fortunate we are. And I'm yeah. really glad that we did things the way we did. I remember specifically, um, when the baby was six and a half weeks old. Wait, which baby? Uh, Luke, Luke? Okay. and he and I were playing on the couch mm-hmm. and you were sitting across from us in the chair and I was having such a blast with him. You know, six weeks is when they're really connecting with you and smiling right. and all this stuff. And I looked at you and I said, I think I just fell in love with him. Yeah. And you said, I think he just fell in love with you. Yeah. And I like burst into tears. Um, but it, it's true. Like I remember that explicit moment where I was like, Oh, love him now. 
yeah. love, 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 you yeah. know? Yeah. So, and that's a cool moment. And I, yeah. Yeah. All right. What are you reading? Uh, as I've mentioned on this podcast recently, in the past couple of episodes, I bought a ton of books recently. Yeah. And I've just been plowing through them, which is nice. Um, one of the ones that I just finished is called The Regulars by Georgia Clark. And I really enjoyed it. It was really um, quick read, very lighthearted. Uh, but basically, it's about three friends who, through various circumstances, are given a serum that turns them basically into incredibly beautiful creatures. See, usually somebody else takes a serum and people just look more beautiful. Uh, but, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, and it's really about, you know, how does that change your life? Like, what do you do? I mean, first of all, you have to create a new identity. But... Um, but what does it do for your confidence and how does it change the rest of, of everything? And it, it was, I just thought it was a really fun read and um, yeah, the regulars, Georgia Clark. Cool. How cool. about you? Uh, I just finished a middle grade, strangely oh. enough, uh, called Legendopia, the battle for earth. Um, that is earth spelled U R T H. <laughs> and it, it's sort of a, a, a classic, uh, you know, kid goes to another universe and comes back sort of thing, magic and, you know, magic starts to invade our world, that sort of thing. Um, I met the author at a writer's festival, okay. a literary festival, and uh, he was a nice guy. We hit it off. I bought his book, and I read it, and a, a guy named Lee Bacon. Um, it was a fun book. Good name. Good name. I know. Seriously. <laughs> delicious. Um, and it, it's funny because it is middle grade, and, and it's a genre I am intimately familiar with. So, yeah. you know, I saw 90% of it coming, right. but an eight-year-old will not. Yeah. And, and you ha when you judge you know, books of, of that ilk, you have to think of who the reader is. You know, yeah. you can't go, oh, it was predictable. Well, yes. yeah, of course, because I've read literally a hundred books like this. Right, yeah. Um, it was a fun book. It was well-written. It was funny. So there you go. If you, if you have a kid in your life who likes fantasy novels, give this a shot. Some solid reading recs there. Yes. All right. We will uh, see you again in two weeks. That's it for us right now. Follow us online on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. Come to writinginreallife.com to read the show notes and to uh, email us and give us suggestions. Tell us what you think about anything. And uh, please, iTunes, make yourself uh, useful, people. <laughs> make yourself useful. Go to iTunes. Give us five stars. It makes the world a better place. That's it. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.